Welcome to the King's Chapel Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Genesis chapter 48, 1984, New International Version. Why would you say that? Because they kind of jacked some stuff up in recent versions of the New International Version. The 84 version is really good, though. Anyway, let's go. You ready? Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took the two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and went along with him. When When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength. Now, Israel and Jacob is the same guy. And sat up in the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and I will increase your numbers. I will make you a community of people and I will give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine. He's adopting them. Just as Reuben and Simeon are mine, any children born to you after them will be yours in the territory they inherit. They will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. Verse 7, as I was returning from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan where we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephraim. So I buried her beside the road, that is, in Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? I want you to say that. Who are these? They are the sons of God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. And Israel said, Bring them to me so that I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. And Joseph removed them from Israel's knees, bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand, and he brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all of my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name. And the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. Verse 17, when Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. So Joseph said to him, no, my father, this one is firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name, 
will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Verse 21, then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers and to you as one who is over your brothers, I will give the ridge of land I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. Father, move in power. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Powerful passage, I pray, God, as you moved in the first service. So move in this service. Give us living understanding. May we never be the same in Jesus' name. You know, before I get to preaching to you, who here and that you can continue to pass out notes. Who here has had a baby over this past year? Within the past 12 months, you have a child. All right. And uh, how old is your precious child? Two months. Is dad here somewhere? All right. Well, we have a, we have a gift for dad. Would you give it to him? All right. Anybody beat two months? All right. You're the winner. All right. Now, this is for the oldest dude. No, I'm just kidding. The most grandchildren, all right? The most grandchildren. Who here has, uh, any man here who has a grandfather here who has over 20? We had 27 in the first service. Come on. Under, who, uh, under 20. Come on, start counting. How many got all the way back there? 13. Anybody beat 13 grandchildren? And the winner is... My brother in the back row, can you run this back to him, Brother Toby? Thank you so much. All right. Over the recent years, I've been impacted greatly by, by families that are serving the Lord. And I have been, it's been highlighted to me in prayer and over these recent years more than ever before. Now, somebody said, well, that's because you're in your 50s. Maybe so. But I see the generational blessing on families, and it's, it's really pretty overwhelming. I'm not impressed, really, by someone's anointing. I'm not. There's a lot of anointed people, and I'm grateful for that. And there's a lot of unanointed people. There's a lot of empty hands on empty heads. We need people that are full of the Spirit laying hands up. Come on, Joshua was full of wisdom because Moses laid his hands on him. I do believe there's a generation that's rising full of faith, full of power, full of fire, full of anointing that's going to bring transformation. What impresses me, though, is a healthy marriage, the anointing with a healthy marriage, kids that serve God. And I understand that sometimes you can raise a child up, and uh, when they're old, you know, they, I mean, the, the Word of God says when they're old, they won't depart from it, but it seems sometimes there's a season where they've departed. Of course, that'll never happen in my house because we'll just send them to heaven early, and then I'll take care of everything. Amen. It's kind of a bad joke. But all my kids love the Lord. And I'm grateful for that. Hallelujah. The blessings of God. God is a multi-generational God. Fill in your notes as we move along. God's a multi-generational God. One person said, well, he's an intergenerational God. It means the same thing. He's the God of the generations. It's God's intention to fulfill his awesome plan for you and your life, but it's also his intention because his plan is so awesome to fulfill it in, your, in the multiple generations. In other words, what God wants to do in you and through you is bigger than just your lifetime. I think it was Hezekiah that was just dumb as a box of rocks, made some good decisions, but in the end, in the end, he made a bad decision, and the curse came down upon him, 
And the prophet said, because you've done this thing, the kingdom will be taken from you, your family will be wiped out, your, your grandsons will be made eunuchs. I mean, that's not good. Somebody say amen. And he said, whew, thank God it's not in my lifetime. <laughs> Poor grandkids. What kind of a grandfather would be like that? That's what exactly what he did. And, and when you look at the story of Hezekiah, it's amazing. The prophetic word is because of this, for the sake of your father, David. Now, David, I think, is about 300 years before that. So because of the way that David lived, ex- lived except for the, uh, the situation with Bathsheba, because of the way that David lived, it brought blessing and mercy on Hezekiah, you know, hundreds of years later. You see, God's got a plan for your life. He knows the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future, not to harm you, but to help you. But those plans are beyond your lifetime. So we have to learn in the church to release the multi-generational blessing, how to do that. I'm going to teach you how. going to look at this text, going to break it down simply and quickly to you. It's full of revelation, really. And in Genesis 18, you can turn there if you like. Genesis 18, verse 19, the context is God is coming to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And the angels are talking. The Lord is there. It's a theophany. And they're talking. And they say, should we show Abraham what we're about to do? And then verse 19, it says, yeah, yeah, we better show him. For I have known him, Genesis 18, verse 19, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. That is profound. Because the blessing, the promise, the prophetic word over Abraham is that you will become a mighty nation. Look at the stars, Abraham. Uh Uh-huh, I can see them. More numerable will your descendants be than all stars. Well, that can't happen in one generation. What would happen if Abraham didn't teach his children? What would happen if Abraham didn't impart faith? What would happen if Abraham didn't teach his children righteousness and justice? The context, understand, the context is Sodom and Gomorrah about to get a serious spanking, in fact, get it wiped out. And the context is, Abraham, pay attention because there's right, there's wrong, and you need to teach your kids. And as you teach them, They will then fulfill the promise because it's a multi-generational God. Now you say, well, I I haven't done that. I mean, I just got saved like last week. Welcome to the family. You can start today. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. I believe God wants to create generations of people that operate in supernatural power. We don't need a bunch of religious people. We don't need a bunch of rules and regulations. Come on, God is more than a rule book. He's a Savior. He's a personal Savior that you need to come in contact with, repent of your sin and receive Him and walk with Him, talk with Him and teach others to do the same. God wants to to have future generations of leaders. So wonderful to have Mayor Edna here in the second service and on that front row. We need more Mayor Ednas. We need more politicians. We need more heads of state. It's a great mistake to preach and declare we need, you know, just evangelists, pastors, and the fivefold. No, we need people with those giftings in the marketplace also, turning the place upside down. How many of you know we need a, we need a people that will run for office and bring the kingdom of God everywhere they go? Can you say amen? amen? And that's God's plan. One of the reasons our nation has gone to hell in a handbasket, and it's not over yet. It's not over because we're here. 
We're still here. There's hope for America. What is the hope for America? The church. An on-fire, Bible-preaching, teaching, demonstrating church full of the Holy Ghost, casting out devils, healing the sick, and setting the captives free. God wants to use you to impact your family, to impact the community, to impact the state, to impact the nation, to impact the nations, to let the glory of the Lord that's carried on the shoulders of men The ark was to be carried on the shoulders of men. It's a picture that God's power and glory is to be carried on people, carried by people, giving him all the honor, not taking any credit for it. Let's look at this text here because it's rather profound. Jacob's dying. He's 40. Some say 40. Pardon me, 40. He's 140, a little bit different, 140 years old. Some say 146. Some scholars say 147. He's old, okay? Joseph is visiting his father, and he takes his two sons. Now, his two sons are not two cute little babies. We dedicate children here. That's not when they get saved. It's really a dedication of of parents and family. You're going to raise that child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And it is the patriarchal blessing of the people of faith. You will see throughout Scripture, it is a biblical thing to dedicate children, but it's really a dedication of the parents to raise that child. There's a lot of children that, that don't get raised in a way that would they would know the Lord and walk with him. But that's, that's not the way it should be. Can you say amen? amen? There's a lot of men, a lot of women here, a lot of children here. Maybe your father failed you, so you hate Father's Day. I know people that don't even come to church on Father's Day because if they hear father, they just get sick. They don't even acknowledge, they don't want to call God my heavenly father because it brings memories of pain and rejection and sorrow. No, God wants us to see our children blessed. And so Joseph comes visits his father to bless them. I love what Matthew Henry's commentary said. It says this about this particular passage. It is good to acquaint young people that are coming into the world with aged servants of God that are going out of it, whose dying testimony to the goodness of God and the pleasantness of wisdom may be encouraged to raise the next generation. I know that's a mouthful, Matthew Henry. Basically, it says this. It's a great thing for your kids, for you, for me to experience a dying generation that talks about the glory of God. I think about Pastor Jack, who pastored the Church of God over in Palmer. We became close friends in the latter years of his life. I would go. He made the best, most incredible uh, uh, salmon chowder ever in the pla- on the planet. I know you might make a good one. His is better, and he's dead now, so he can't prove it. He's in heaven. And I would go and I would bring my son. And Daniel remembers. I would go. He, he only, I, I knew him for about a year and a half, two years. And I would bring Daniel with me and the power of God would fall. And my son didn't ex- know everything that was taking place, but he was there and he ate the chowder and he watched too. He was significantly older than me and he would talk about revival and he'd talk about what God did. And, and something happened at those moments. It was only a brief period. It's a good thing to, to hear the testimonies of the aged who are going out of this world to a testimony, to be a testimony of this generation that are coming into it to change the world. May their shoulders be our, be our floor. May their ceiling be our floor. And so that's what Joseph is doing. It's, of course, Jacob or Israel is his father. So Jacob blesses Joseph's sons. Now, let me, let me just say this. It, Israel, uh, Israel and Jacob, it's synonymous. It's the same person. Jacob was the surplanter, but he got touched by God at Luz, which we'll talk about in a moment, also called, also called Bethel, and got a name change to Israel. Surplanter, 
to prince with God is what Israel means. So he reminds, this is a formal blessing. Look at your notes with me. He reminds Joseph that God promised him certain things at Luz. He's talking about this encounter where he saw Jacob's ladder. He saw a ladder. He he lied down in that place and had a dream in that place. And when he woke up, he did not realize that God was in that place. It uses the word place three times. It's very significant. And it's significant if you back it all the way up to Abraham. And the history of that location, Bethel, means the house of God. It's the first place the anointing is talked about. And he poured oil or anointed these rocks as a pillar before the Lord. And he had this encounter with God that changed him. This is now how many, a hundred years plus later. He was running from his brother because he ripped his brother off of the birthright. And so now he's, he's there at this place and God visits him. And the promise that he gives him is the same promise that he gave his father Abraham. Somebody somebody say, whoa. Verse 3, that phrase, he uses the phrase El Shaddai three separate times. And Jacob is vividly remembering this encounter. We've had a lot of encounters with God. And when we talk about them, it's almost as if we can just re-experience those. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You start talking about what God did, it just kind of whoosh can bring you back into that same encounter. We had a, as I said earlier, we had a, a contractor, a subcontractor of ours. We met, we were sitting at the table having lunch, and he started talking about Brownsville. We started talking about Brownsville, and he got this glazed look. He said, did, did, you, did you go to Brownsville? I said, no, but I would have if I could have. I saw it over a stream, and I told him the same story, which I think I said in this service. Brownsville, and we talked about it. We, we got to talk about it three or four days later. He says this to me. He said, you're the first person in probably 15 years that mentioned Brownsville. He said, I, I was so grieved that I don't hear about Brownsville anymore. He was discipled by Dr. Michael Brown. And he went to the Brownsville School of Revival in Pensacola, Florida. I just thought, oh, yeah, we're working together for sure. And I, as I hung up the phone after hearing that, I could hear the sadness in his heart. And as we shared a couple stories right on the phone, this is four days after the lunch uh, that we talked about Brownsville for a moment. I could feel the Spirit of God. And I said to him, man, I feel, that, I feel the anointing of the Spirit. He said, I do too, brother. See, there has to come impartation. There has to come blessing upon the next generation. And they need to hear about, I'm going to get into this a little bit. They need to hear about your encounter with God. And by the way, if you haven't had one, stick around. Stick around. You can get a touch from God. You can have an encounter that will transform you. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God promised Jacob some things, and you look right, in the, right out of the chapter and the verses here. Verse 4, fruitfulness. You will be fruitful. You'll increase in number. You'll multiplication of numbers, that's B. The third thing you'll see right from the text, you'll make a community of peoples. That's a nation. I'm going to make you a nation. Canaan's land will be an everlasting possession, which I, I really enjoy reading Old Testament verses about who owns Israel. I really enjoy reading Old Testament verses. You want to know who owns Israel? God. And then he gave it to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It belongs to Jacob. It doesn't belong to Ishmael. Missed a great place to say amen or oh me or oh my or something. So we're getting kind of political. Actually, I've been definitely 
curbing a little bit. I, I might get there, though. Welcome to Kings. We're so glad you're here. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. That land, that land belongs to God's people. It's not that Ishmael, Arabs, Palestinians, it's not that they don't, God doesn't have a great plan for them. He does. It's just not their land. I know that's upsetting, but I'm, 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 I study the word. That's what I see in the words. So I'm going to say it. Amen. And he's reminding Joseph and his sons that, that he's about to bless what's going to happen. There's a transference. I didn't even say this in the first service. I should have. Impartation is real. So what's about to happen is he's about to lay it, he's about to lay it on him. Say, why are you doing that? Because that's what he does. He didn't do this. He does this. We'll get there. Impartation is real. You might not know it, but right now something is happening here online. Something is happening for the hungry and thirsty. God's not obligated to touch you just because you showed up to church. I'm so glad you did. No, God touches you in direct proportion to the hunger that you have. And that's why he spoke in parables to hide truth. He said, well, I came to church. Are you going to touch me? Then you need some other kind of touch to get rid of your attitude. God ought to thank me. I came to church. I'm glad you came. Please don't be offended. Unless, of course, you need to be and then get set free. There's impartation is about to happen. I, I used to say this, but I don't think it's entirely accurate. But more has happened to me through someone laying hands on my head, ministering to me in the spirit that hap- than happened in any kind of preaching or teaching. It's not entirely true, but I do give it equal, equal, equal authority and power. I've had people lay hands on me and I've changed. I can't tell you exactly what. I just was less of a jerk when I left. She'd be like, pray for my husband. All right, we will. Hang in there. You might get that on the way home. He adopts Joseph's sons as his own. And to me, it, it seems like it's a bit of a replacement for Reuben and Simeon, who were, in a sense, disqualified from their position and status because of sin. And you can see this in Genesis 34, Genesis 35. They fail, and I won't go into all of that. So it's almost a disqualification. Somebody said, well, I could just do what I want to. Yeah, you can, and you might get disqualified. Sin will disqualify you. And it's, And these two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, take his place. It's not only that, but, and when I first read it years ago, it bothered me. It's kind of like, man, somebody taking my my kids. Can you imagine somebody just took your kids? By the way, these two are not yours anymore. They belong to me. But the picture is that granddad is saying they belong to me because I want them having an equal blessing when I release and distribute all the land and everything that God told me to do. In other words, they're not getting the inheritance of Joseph. They're getting equal portion. Literally, it's a double portion. Come on, somebody say, I want the double. The double portion comes upon Joseph, and it really is a picture of them like elevating Joseph also to Jacob's status or Israel's status. And I love this other section here, verse 7, and you could easily skip over it. Verse 7, it, it, it brings healing. Look at verse 7, 48, 7. As I was returning from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan, where I was still on the way a little distance from Bethlehem. And he says, I buried her there. It could be that Joseph had resentment. Follow this for a minute. I'm reading between the lines a little bit, and a lot of scholars argue this, of why that is. Somebody said, well, prophetically, she needed to be buried there so that when, when the, the, uh, the travelers were on their way, would be encouraged about the promise, the prophetic promise. But the, 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 the tomb of the patriarchs was in Hebron, Hebron, 
where, where David was crowned uh, king for the first seven years in Hebron. And so it could be that Joseph was a little bit bitter about how his mama was buried in some other place and not in the tomb of the patriarchs. And what I like about that is, even if that's not true, we don't understand all the mystery behind it all, but what I like is, see, you can pull things out of context and make it say something, but this is biblically true. Fathers need to bring healing to sons. I said fathers need to bring healing to sons, need to bring, mothers need to bring healing to sons and daughters. We all need to bring healing. So it could be that he's dealing with the resentment that, that, that Joseph had. It, it's really quite profound. And by the way, you know, Benjamin, Benjamin came and she died and, and, and I honored her that way. You know, it's, it's a powerful passage. You know, in October of 2005, my father had come to the island of Kauai to visit me. I was pastoring there with my lovely wife and uh, some of you were in that service Minister Ava, Pastor Vince, who are with us here, we, they were in Kauai at that time. I preached on that Sunday. Uh, it's, it's a rather long story. I knew that if I could, I invited, he was there for two weeks. I didn't invite him the first week to church, but the second week, he was going to leave on the Monday, I think. I said, Dad, you come to church? He said, I'll, I'll, I'll come. I came that day, happened to be Pastor Appreciation Sunday. I had no idea. So I'm sitting there, people are raining gifts and bags and, and oh people we be if it wasn't for you and the Lord we just wouldn't be and my father's like what's going on you know a little unusual being a Catholic background and all the Catholics said amen I didn't know what to preach on that day so I, I, I fasted and prayed I'm like oh God Lord that Saturday was one of the most tormenting days of preparation I've ever had in my life because I thought oh, oh I'm gonna preach on generational sin I'm going to break the devil off him. Amen. And the Lord's like, no, you're not. I'm like, okay. Oh, Lord, I, oh, God. And I, 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 at the end of Saturday, it's getting late in my preparation time. It's time to, like, go to sleep, and I really still don't have anything. I'm praying, and it's like the Lord came with an angel and knocked me out. I just went into an instant vision, and in the vision, I saw the whole story of the prodigal son like a motion picture before me. And it went through very detailed all the way through the other side. When it came to the other side, I kind of snapped out of it, and I realized, oh, my gosh, I'm going to preach the prodigal son message. I preached the prodigal son message, and at the end of that service, I gave an opportunity for people to give their lives to Christ, and my father's hand went up. When I saw his hand, I, 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 couldn't, even, I couldn't even, like, look over. I mean, he's a Catholic. He believed in Christ. But it's one thing to believe in Christ and make him your Savior. is two totally different things. Even the devils believe in demons. Even demons believe in Christ. It's another thing to repent and make him your Lord and Savior. And he raised his hand. I'm like, oh, I can't hardly handle that. I, I was going to fall out. So I like knuckled down, tried to compartmentalize that thing. Men are good at that. But that was a hard one. I knuckled it down. Yes. Not able to cry and weep. Ah! I held it together. I closed in prayer. And half the church understood what was happening because, you know, how many of you know, some people, you know, they know the inner workings of what happens and they're like staring at my dad. Yes! How many of you know what I'm talking about? Half the church is crying. The other half didn't know anything and they're dismissed and they're leaving and rejoicing, going on their way. I got a hold of it so I wasn't going to fall out in the pulpit and make a scene. I let go of my pulpit and I thought, okay. 
went here, here. When I hit here, dad ran at me, Chris. He ran at me, buried his face in my neck, weeping. And he says, I was a horrible father. I said, no, you weren't, dad. He said, yes, I was. I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> I wanted to make him feel better, you know. We sat and cried and cried and cried. And God, and then he just said, I'm proud of you. And he healed something. Something got healed in me. Oh, my. Come on, lift your hands to heaven. There needs to come healing in the relationships of sons and fathers, mothers and daughters, and, and whatever combination you want to come up with that. We need healing. Oh, I'm, I'm, not that I had a script, but I'm way off now. A number of years ago, I was sitting, I'm talking about heal, bringing healing to your children and explaining some things, maybe maybe repenting because you're a jerk, dad. Well, I'm the head of the house. You're an idiot, too. Or you can act like one. A number of years ago, it's probably two, three years ago. It's not long ago. We were having a family dinner. Hannah was home from college, very articulate, been through different classes and some psychology classes and whatever just could just communicate without with great clarity. And so we sat there and I got to hear from my two children and I, I don't mean to demean you in any way really it's we we all we all fall short and I got to hear about all the wounds I created in my children. Now I'm serving God. I I didn't I didn't leave my wife. I didn't I didn't smoke crack. I don't have a porn problem, never had one really. Well, that's not true. Sorry. Before I got saved, I had some issues. Amen. <laughs> Let's have a praise break. Amen. Yeah, some of you in church and you still have a problem. All right, I'll be healed. <laughs> I feel the Holy Ghost now. Hey, sinner, where you at, sinner? Hey, ah, 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 ah. I think somebody just slid underneath the pew. Get away from me. So, you know, without getting into, like, super details, I was just really intense. It was very intense. I mean, if you watch Teletubbies, you're going to go to hell. I mean, you don't even know what Teletubbies are. You know, I was, like, vehemently opposed to certain things, which I'm going to encourage, my, encourage myself and say, <laughs> at least I wasn't, you know, a, a jellyfish, no spine, uh, no conviction, spineless, compromised Christian. I didn't have that going on, but I was a little over the top. And it was kind of terrifying. I mean, they thought, like, if you liked a boy, then you're going to hell. Which is true. No. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm kidding. If you like a girl, definitely a split hell wide open. Liking a girl, which I think is good to think of, right, during those teenage years, and all the fathers and mothers said, hey, bud. You want them thinking that, right? 13, 14, 15, 16, still their brains get attached. So they communicated some of the intensity and the things that I had going on during those years. And it was just like one thing after another. I'm like, oh, man, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. And I'm like, it's okay. It's, you know, and I said, forgive me. And I know I was in trouble when Pastor Karen reached to me and touched my arm and said, are you Okay. Yeah, all the family problems. 
They're on me. Hallelujah. So I, but it helped me because I, I, I've, cha- I've changed. I've gotten better. Last night, and I'm constantly, it hurt. Last night I was reminded as I got, you know, mom's not here and she's at a funeral and she'll be back on Monday and, you know, it's got a little intense there last night right before bed. It kind of got, got a little fired up over something, a little bit over, over the top. You know, nothing crazy. I wasn't throwing anything or punching walls or, you know, I'm not talking like a full fit of rage. I'm just talking about a little, you know, a little bit extra. So I go, to, I go get a hug and a kiss from Hannah to go, before we go to sleep. This is a family tradition. And uh, she says, um, I don't really like your vibe right now. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Can you just keep that out there? Can you keep that vibe out there for right now? I said, okay, well, can you come in? She said, yeah, I'll be in. And I walked off. I thought, oh, God. (laughs) When Jacob, Israel, is talking to Joseph, and he brings this mention of the the burial of his mother, there's a sense of grief that, that Jacob or Israel has, same guy. And it's a sense of healing that comes to Joseph, and it's so powerful. I wanted to take a moment to emphasize it because you need to do that with your family. You need to do that with your spouse. You need to do that with your kids. You need to repent and bring healing. And if you've never repented, well, you can start. Come on, somebody say amen. And he formally blesses them. Look at verse 8. Moving on, I've got five minutes left, which I'm pretty sure I'm going to smoke those and go for a little bit longer. We're going to roast the five minutes. Can you give me, can you give me another 10? He formally blesses them, verse 8. How many have been, into a, you've been to a wedding where they say, who gives this woman to be this man's wife? It's not that the pastor or the officiator of the, of the wedding has lost his mind and doesn't know who he's, who he's doing the vows for. It's, it's language that comes really from the Hebrew. It's... It's an acknowledgement of vows. It's a formal blessing. So when he says, who are these? It's not like he didn't know who they were. He knows these are his grandkids. He's setting up this formal blessing. And Jacob, uh, pardon me, Joseph staged a blessing. Uh, At the right hand, you'll see that uh, Jacob is there. And it's a picture that he stands up. It's a picture of him standing and reaches his hands out. Joseph set it up. So Joseph knows that the right hand, now in Hebrew, right hand is the hand of strength. And he is going to put the right hand, he's going to put Manasseh to, jo- to Jacob's right hand because he's the firstborn. He's the what? He's the firstborn. So he takes, he takes the firstborn. In fact, these are my, this is my firstborn here. And I'm, I'm going to put my hand on her head and my hand on, this is what, Joseph tries to do. But what Jacob does is he switches his hands and he makes the youngest the firstborn. And it's a... <laughs> Daniel's like, you know, that's right. <laughs> Typical siblings. Careful. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he blesses them, but he gives the youngest preeminence. He blesses them both. And he talks about the obedience, about how Abraham and Isaac walked with God. They obeyed God. 
Abraham obeyed God. The blessing wouldn't be upon Jacob if Abraham didn't obey. Are you catching this? The blessing, the multi-generational blessing of the kingdom of God will not be passed down to your kids if you don't walk in it. Jacob shifts his emphasis to God who's been his shepherd and deliverer, verse 15. He goes on to say they may be honored and really they have double honor. May they increase greatly. Number seven will be the mark of the blessing for all of Israel. Even to this day, may you be like Ephraim and Manasseh is a statement in Israel. That's a statement. May God bless you. May you be like Ephraim and Manasseh. That's a blessing today. And that's what this is talking about. They're so blessed that they still talk about a millennium later. I'll give him all this land. Pardon me, he gives up his personal property in Canaan, verse 22. Let me ask you this before we get into the how to release a multi-generational blessing. Why would Jacob give property in the promised land? So they wouldn't be attached to Egypt. And if you look at the life of Joseph, he said, when you leave here, you take my bones out of here. His identity was in God, in the kingdom, and the promise was not in the blessing of Goshen. And God blessed him in Goshen. The only ones that owned land in Egypt were Jews. And he makes this property, it's like they have property in the promised land so they wouldn't be rooted and take their, their hold in Egypt. Some of you have fallen in love with Egypt. God's trying to give you something better, but you hold on. There's nothing wrong with the embracing the wealth of, which listen closely to me, there's nothing wrong with embracing the wealth of Egypt in order to release a blessing to God's people and his kingdom. If you embrace the wealth of Egypt for your own greed, you'll end up cursing yourself and piercing yourself through with many piercings. It's good preaching. All right, how to release a multi-generational blessing. One, or A, Obey God first. You obey God. You have to obey God. You say, my father didn't have a father. Okay, I understand. I didn't have a mother. I'm sorry. You can get a new one. God wants to be your heavenly father. I remember praying that prayer. Oh, God, I've got so many issues. Would you father me? Father, father, man, I need help. He's like, okay, we're going to go to the woodshed. Let's go. And I like the woodshed, but I like what it does for me. Some of you need to go to the woodshed. Some of you are in the woodshed. How many of you are talking about? Those whom the Lord loves, he chastises. Lord Cunningham, one of the greatest missionaries ever, said those whom the Lord loves, he beats the hell out of. So if you're offended by that, Lord Cunningham, the big island of Hawaii, if you have any hell in you, he would say, it'd be good if God helped you get rid of it. First, obey God yourself. Everybody say, first, obey God yourself. Secondly, declare what God's done for you to your children. Tell your kids what he's done. Tell them how he set you free. Tell them how he led you. Tell them how he provided for you. Tell them. Tell stories. Talk about it. So come on, somebody say, talk about it. And your fan, don't just talk about the baseball game or the football game. Wow, did you see that play? Oh, did you see? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's fine to do that too, but have moments where you say, you know, I want to tell you about how your mother and I got married or how, or how, how God confirmed to me that I was to be in the ministry, how God confirmed that I was to start this business. I want to talk to you about that. I want to tell you about how when we didn't have anything, we prayed, we gave a sacrificial offering, and God came through and blessed us and released this deal and did this thing. You need to talk about it because if you don't, your kids won't understand and have faith of their own. We can't, we can't pass on faith. I'm on the next point. We can't pass on faith. But what we can pass on is our example of it. 
I said, we can't pass it. you got to get your own faith, but you can pass on an example of a life lived. Can you say amen? amen. Can you say a better amen? amen? Speak the blessings over your children and your children's children. Lay hands on them. It's this picture of, of, of laying on of hands, which is an elementary teaching. I'm going to mess up your hair. I'm going to lay hands on you guys again. And you bless them. You bless your kids. You say, do I have to cross my hands? No, you don't have to cross your hands. But speak blessing over them. Something like this. Father, bless my children. Bless my children, God. May they never be unequally yoked with unbelievers. May they always choose godly relationships to encourage them to be steadfast in the Lord. Fill them full of the Spirit and use the gifts and the talents, Lord, of the calling and the purpose that they have. Fulfill destiny. In Jesus' name, break off any defilement. God, use them. Fulfill the plan you have for the brackens in them. Even beyond my lifetime, should you, should you tarry. In Jesus' name. Some of you don't do that. My daughter's, my daughter's name and my contacts is my princess. They know they're royalty. They know they're called. They know they're blessed. I, I told her at college, she said, Dad, I need this, or Mom, I need this. I said, Sweetheart, whatever you need, you need anything, call me. I'll give it to you. Just make sure you have the fear of God about it. I am El Shaddad. That's expensive. You better believe it's expensive, but guess what it also does? Not everything was the Lord, you know, that she asked for necessarily. She thought it tested well. How about, how about, no, you wait for that. You work for that. You, you know, you got to be led by the Lord. But she knows that God, God will provide for everything. And they know. My kids know that. Do your kids know that? Some of you are so tight-fisted. Listen, you ought to give your kids a boost. Help them get in a house, for God's sake. Well, that's going to take some of my retirement. You, when you dead, somebody else is going to get it. Why don't you? Why don't you? Listen, look to bless your kids. Look to help them. Now, if, they, if, they, if they're irresponsible, you don't reward that. I'm not saying that. But speak blessing over them. Can you say amen? Teach them the promises of God. I'm almost done. Worship team. Teach them the promises of God. Teach them. There's a promise for every problem you have. Teach them the promises of God. Healing, breakthrough, provision. Teach them wisdom. Teach them the word. Let them know that God has a purpose for their life. Believe in them. I shared this story in the first service with permission from Hannah. Years ago, I went to Virginia. I was probably, I don't know, it's probably seven, eight years ago, maybe longer. Went to Virginia where our relatives on my mother's side lived. And uh, most of my relatives on my mother's side were all pastors and preachers. There was a moment of uh, backsliddenness. Is that a word? And my grandfather and granddad. But he came back to the Lord and became a deacon in the church and served before that, it's 12 generations of preachers and pastors. 12. It's like, whoa, I know, crazy. I don't even know how that happened. It's amazing. Went to go back to visit some of these places. I haven't been to England to do that yet, but I did go to Virginia and found a church that, they, that was built in the 1734. There was a revival in America in the, 17, in the 1700s. You know that, right? I said there was a revival in the 1730s, 1734, 35, in Hawaii too. I went there, and uh, we were the last tour that day. And we walked in, and we look. I'm just overwhelmed. I'm like, wow, this is the church that they built and preached here, and whoa, wow. It had one of these pulpits that had a staircase that went up, and so the pastor would climb the staircase and preach in this, you know, 
this kind of bird's nest. And the guy knew who was touring us. You know, we showed him where family would come from and all of that. He's touring us. And I looked at that pulpit and I said, oh God, I need to stand in that. I just want to stand in that. So I said, hey, um, would you mind if I went and stood? He said, oh no, you can't do that. There's, there's uh, nobody's allowed up there. I said, okay. Now he knew that I was a pastor. He knew that my relatives built it. When he said no, I was just like, oh, that's like impossible. I didn't say that out loud, but I just walked off and said, okay. And it was like you could hear a pin drop. You heard like the fear of the Lord fell on that place. And I look over at the guy and he's shaking his head. He says, oh, if I had ever ought to break that rule, it ought to be right now. I said, amen. Went right up the stairs, took hold of that pulpit. It was like putting two hands on battery terminals. So I stood there shaking the sense of destiny and purpose and realizing there was a whole generation, generations had gone before. My daughter over in the corner of the church, God spoke to her while that was happening and said, as your forefather served me, so you too will serve me. And it was a rhema word from God. You provide opportunities for your kids to be blessed. I know I've gone long, but hopefully it's been real strong. You, you pass on multi, you say, I don't have, tw- I don't even know, I don't even know who my father is, never mind 12 generations of anything. It's irrelevant. Because you can start today. Today, you could start. And you could start having a, you say, well, I'm not even married. Pray hard, marry the right person. Amen. Or be single like Paul and spread the good news and be a spiritual mother, be a spiritual father. So I've messed up. Repent, start over. Repent to your kids. Start doing, start doing the right thing. Learn how to walk in the blessing. Learn how to walk with God. Talk with God. Let your kids know that they're, they have a purpose in God. Your family has a, there's family callings. There's family purpose. Come on, raise your hands to heaven. Come on, someone say, I've got a purpose. Come on, someone say, my family's got a purpose. Lastly, you elevate them. You take, you look for opportunities to elevate your kids. Look to do it. And you can't, you can't do that and make a spoiled brat. There has to be responsibility. The elevation has to be commensurate with their ability to handle it. I've seen kids elevated beyond their character to carry it, and they end up destroyed. I love what my friends say, that if your anointing exceeds your character, you're going to kill yourself and you're going to kill other people. You have to have character. You have to have character. Our King School of Ministry work on character that whole first year. If you have this great anointing and you don't have character, character to carry it, you kill, you, you kill yourself and other people. You elevate your children based upon character, integrity, and anointing and by the word of the Lord. You know, generally speaking, 12-year-olds aren't allowed on our platform for worship in, the scene, in this main service. But years ago, when you were 12, I forget what age, the Lord spoke to us and said, put her on the platform. You know how she lives. She lives holy. Put her on the platform so that she gets comfortable. I don't know if you've heard my daughter sing or worship. She's tremendously anointed and gifted by God. She was living right. I knew. She wasn't even watching Teletubbies. I knew her dad. I knew her mom. Come on, do you get anything from the Lord? Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, 
you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.